Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. This week we're continuing on in our application series. This week we're talking about school choice. Sometimes students don't take the time and care to really think about all of their choices. With this, it has one of the biggest impacts on your success in a cycle. So we're going to be talking about a lot of aspects to consider when you're looking at this. And we're going to help give you some guidance on better ways to approach this process this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. Hello. And welcome back to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. Our goal each episode is to share information our students need to succeed. We're going to connect you with some resources. We're going to answer some of your questions. And we're going to try and make this super stressful, complicated process just a little bit easier. Our episodes vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour. So tune in to one of our shorter episodes if you're walking in between classes, or if you've got a little bit more time, why don't you go ahead and put on one of our longer episodes. I am this episode's host, John Moses Bronson, and for this week's episode, we are continuing our discussion on the aspects of the primary application. The primary application sets up the foundation for who you are, and it's really important to be able to tell your story. This week's episode, we're really focusing on making sure that that person on the other end of your application are the right people who should be listening and reading your application. The best students, the best applicants, are not great applicants at every institution. And so that's what we're really going to highlight this week is talking about how do we make sure that you are in the right place for you. Okay. So we're going to start by talking about some of the myths of school selection. And we're going to dispel those myths. We're going to talk about some of the realities of school choice. And then we're going to talk about how you sort of go about determining what is actually important to you. And then also how to approach the process. Right. So let's start with those myths. One of the first ones that I will often hear is that there are the best medical schools and then there are bad medical schools. And overall, that's not really the case. You're going to get a high quality of education sort of regardless of where you go. There are really incredibly high standards for accreditation that every school has to meet. It's not easy to be an accredited health professions program. So as long as you are looking at and applying to accredited programs, you really are finding good schools, right? But having said that, yeah, all schools are good, but not every school is good for you. So that's really where this process comes in is figuring out, well, what are the good schools for me? A lot of students will tell me, you know, I'm going to apply to 40 schools, right? That way I make sure I get in at least somewhere. And the problem with that is, is that one, you're probably not going to be a great fit at 40 different institutions. And that's a a really important part of this process. If you want to have a good return on your investment, right? It's not cheap to apply. 
it is so, so important for you to really select the schools where they're, you're a good fit for them, right? So if you apply to 40 different schools, not only are you likely applying to schools that you're not a good fit for, so you're not really going to get any good results. Additionally, especially if you're applying to medical school, you're responding to a lot of secondary essays and applications. One, this is pretty expensive as well, right? Especially if you're getting tons of uh, secondary essays from lots of schools. Most of those schools, if not all of them, will have secondary essay fees, and that can really bulk up, right? So that's a problem financially, but also secondaries are really tough and they're kind of relentless, right? The average school will have anywhere from three to six essays. So if you're applying to 40 schools, you are going to see anywhere from, oh my gosh, 120 to like 300 and 60. It's just a lot, right? I did, I'm pretty sure I didn't math that super great. Probably, I think it may be 340, regardless. It's a lot. It, this is not anything to like lightly go into because if you ha- are trying to do that many secondaries, the quality is going to degrade, right? There is sort of like an unwritten timeline when it comes to secondary essays and applications and the turnaround time. And it's not posted anywhere. You're not going to see it written on a website. But realistically, you should have your secondary essays returned to the school's once they submit them to you within two weeks. That's not a lot of time for our students. And if you are getting 30, 40, 50 essays at one time, it's a lot to balance. And honestly, a lot of students start to pull pieces and bits of essays from other ones that they've written. And it's really important to have each of your essays really reflect your personal relationship with that school. So if you're not connecting them to you super personally, you're really missing out. And sometimes it can even derail an application at a particular school. So you want to apply to an appropriate amount of programs. And that's really going to vary depending on your health profession, what financial resources you have, and honestly, the profile of your application. So make sure that you're really only applying to the schools where you're a good fit and, you know, that your metrics sort of align with where they tend to pull and target with their admissions, right? It's fine to have a few schools where you're a bit on the lower end. If that is the case for you, it's fine to apply to somewhere where you're a bit over. You know, again, it sort of depends on your particular profile. So what we're trying to avoid here is you getting burnt out and exhausted too early. Because what's really terrible is if you don't submit secondary essays, they're not going to consider you for an interview. So you've already spent money to apply to that institution, and then you're not actually completing the application. So you've wasted several hundred dollars by not completing all of those applications. And if you get burnt out during secondaries, it makes preparing for your interviews really difficult if you are sort of lucky enough to get those those interviews. So we sort of want to avoid that. You know, in economics, there's this this law called the law of diminishing returns. And it is sort of the results on one um, plane of the of the graph. And on the other plane is your resources, energy, um, you know, financial <laughs> uh, contributions, things like that. And, you know, obviously applying to one and putting all of your efforts into there, 
you only really have one shot there, right? So there is sort of this maximum hit range of the effort that you're able to provide to each individual school and the potential results of that, there's sort of a maximum. And that, again, that's going to be different for every student. It, there's a lot of details and considerations and variables to consider. You know, there's things like, are you working? Are you doing research? Are you not the best writer on the planet? You know, for a lot of our students who are in STEM majors, we don't really teach you to be good, you know, writers. So outside of, you know, lab reports. And so sometimes this is kind of a big struggle. You don't need to be on somebody else's timeline. You just need to understand your own. So if writing is a struggle for you, you may not want to apply to a higher number of schools because you're more likely to get burnout sooner in that secondary essay process, right? Because what we don't have happen is getting into the sort of the negative return section of the law of diminishing returns, which is at a certain point, you just have too many to do a good job and the quality of all of them really degrade, right? You're on a tight timeline. They require a lot of work. And if they're not high quality, you could have really great metrics and you may not move past that initial stage, right? You might have a wonderful application, but if your secondary essays don't reflect that, sometimes you will have a really hard time getting into that interview. And if you don't get interviewed, you're not getting an acceptance. And that's so stressful. And so we really don't want you to do that, right? The next sort of myth is that state schools are your safety schools. All schools are really competitive. (laughs) So there is no such thing as sort of like a safety school within, you know, admissions for the health professions. But on the flip side of that, there is some nuance here. There's a lot of in-state preference at these schools. The reason that students get into their in-states is not because they're easier to get into, but because those schools actually prefer to have applicants come from within their own institution. So as you are thinking about these schools, you do want to focus your efforts on at least, you know, one to three in-state schools because they're going to show preference for you in the application process. And that makes a huge difference, right? You don't need to, like, apply to every in-state school just because it's in-state. If you're not a good fit, if you don't want to go there, don't add it to your list. You know, but make sure that you are prioritizing those applications because, statistically speaking, you do have your greatest chance of success at those specific institutions. And it's not because they're safety or easier to get into, but you understand the patient population that they're looking to serve on average in general, right? So you have a leg up on these other candidates from other parts of the country. They have a lot to offer in other areas, but you have some real insight into the realities of the communities that these schools will want to serve, right? If you're from rural central Pennsylvania, yeah, you're going to have a much easier time understanding the types of patients that do come into the Hershey Medical Center through Penn State University College of Medicine. That's a natural gift that you will have, especially if you've done your shadowing and a lot of your clinical servicing engagement in the region, that's why there's that in-state preference. And it's because of the relationship to the communities that are going to be served. Right. So those are some of the big myths. Here are some of the realities. In the 2022 matriculation cycle, only 36% of applicants received an acceptance at an MD allopathic medical school. 
that's just a little over a third. So it's really competitive. And choosing to apply to schools because you know the name or because there are other Big Ten institutions, you can't afford to just apply willy-nilly. And, you know, we have to help you reframe your search and what's important. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I did want to point that out. It's just really competitive. It's hard out there for a pre-med or a pre-dent, right? All of our health professions are in really competitive cycles. You know, there's basically, there are very few health professions where the acceptance rate's over 50%, right? So it's not good odds regardless of where you're at. So what we are trying to do is helping you to maximize your chances based on who you are, your profile, and how schools view students similar to you. This next reality is that even applicants with the best metrics don't always get offers. In the 2019, 2020, and 2021 matriculation cycles, roughly 16% of the best students, so as defined by this report, which is put out by the American Association of Medical Colleges, didn't get a single offer. And these are students who are in the top profile of MCAT score and have the highest of the highest GPAs and science GPAs. 16% of those students didn't get a single offer. And that percentage is growing year over year. Metrics are important, right? We're going to be doing it. We have done an episode about GPAs and, and test scores and the metric session of, section of the application. Those are really important because they open the doors for you. But what's behind those doors has to be really important, right? We talked about this in the work and activities, experiences and achievements episode, that that's what's behind your application. That's what's behind the metrics. Helps us understand you better, right? But we also need to make sure that what's behind the door reflects a good fit for that school, right? If you don't have a lot of research in your background, it's not something you're really interested in, you're going to really struggle at specific schools where research is a huge part of their identity as an institution and how they see themselves helping people in the real world, right? So we need to make sure that there's that matchup. And then lastly, even if you have perfect metrics, perfect preparation, right, you did tons of research, you've done wonderful clinical experiences, you worked you know, doing community nutrition and public health work. That makes you a really great applicant, but not everywhere. There's no way to be the ideal candidate at every single institution. So it's it's not something that you can achieve, right? If we think of the experiences, achievements, metrics model, and attributes, sorry, not achievements, attributes model, it's really complex what's being looked at. Nobody is perfect in all of those different dimensions. It's just not feasibly possible for anyone to be perfect in the entire wheel and model. You have to understand where your strengths are. You have to know where you're perhaps less strong. And then you want to find schools that align with your specific strengths. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the myths and the realities so if you're like, okay, that's cool, John. I, I know I need to figure this out. I know I need to take this seriously. Thank you for the information. But how do I actually go about doing this? So you need to start by finding your why. Why are you doing 
pursuing this career in the first place, you know, we have an episode on this podcast about, you know, a, a process that was developed by Simon Sinek to help you identify your why in really clear, concise terms. That's a wonderful place to start. By being able to clearly articulate why you're pursuing this this goal and this dream, it, it's going to help you find a schools that really align well with you and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So that's a great place to start. If you need some help sort of like working through some of the stories, go ahead and listen to our guided writing exercise um, podcast episode and do that writing ex- exercise for, you know, anywhere from one to five experiences And you're going to start to notice some trends about the types of experiences that you're choosing, the things that you got from it that were really important and valuable, and it's going to help inform what you're looking for next, all right? So some things for you to take a look at and consider when you're thinking about this is the curriculum. When you looked at your undergrad institution, you probably weren't looking at the curriculum design super closely. There's a lot of similarities and, you know, uh, nice comparisons between a lot of undergraduate institutions. To a certain extent, you get out of undergrad what you put into it. It's not really the case with medical school. All of these schools have different approaches to their curriculum that reflect the importance that they place on specific items and concepts in their preparation, right? So some schools are going to have thematic the- uh, thematic threads that run through their curriculum. They may have certain themes or applications to each of their classes. For example, at some schools, they'll have a health systems thread. So at every point in the educational process, not only are they educating you on the base science and clinical uh, applications, but they're also talking about what this will actually look like within the health system. How does this integrate into healthcare delivery? What does this look like? You know, at Penn State, they also will have a humanities thread that runs through. What's the impact to the patient here? How is this impacting the family unit, their community? How is this under- impacting their psychological and mental well-being? It's a lot more complex, and there's a big difference in how different schools will handle this, right? Different schools will have different grading schemes. Some schools, they're going to look pretty common and and comparable to what you're used to here at Penn State or at your undergraduate institutions where they assign quality grades. However, there are some schools that do a straight pass-fail system. Some will have more complex pass-fail systems. So it's really important to understand how you're going to be evaluated in that this next step of the process. You also want to understand and, and know for sure if they require research as part of the curriculum. This is not a universal thing at all medical schools. It's not even a universal thing at schools that have large research contracts. So it's really more whether or not it's integrated into the curriculum. So this is like a sort of an extension of looking at curriculum and the academic experience is how do they include research? Some schools, they're really encouraging you to do something longitudinal over four years, right? That is a certain type of a research integration. Some do smaller, shorter form research integrations. Maybe you 
take a um, an elective and you do some sort of research there, you need to understand how that incorporates. Because if research isn't important to you or how you see yourself in the future, and it wasn't sort of something that you prioritized in your journey to healthcare, that might be an indicator that that's not a great fit school-wise for you. You want to look at what kind of academic tracks there are. Some schools have different sort of like learning communities, and they're focused around different academic topics. And this is a great way for you to get a sense of, you know, I'm really passionate about this thing. It sort of fits in this curricular track. Great. I will find a good academic home and some academic peers to be able to explore and dive into this, whereas other schools, they're not going to have that, right? Maybe you're really interested in you know, community engagement and how to work with the community to sort of move beyond and through social determinants of health and barriers, right? That could be really core to you. But if that's not a curricular track or something that you can focus upon, you're going to be really let down by the types of opportunities that are available at that medical school or dental school and how that's going to prepare you for your future career, right? Part of choosing the right school is figuring out what's which schools are going to give me the sorts of skills that I want prior to that next step, whether that's residency, specialist training, or, you know, going right into practice, you know, it sort of depends on your, your health discipline. But it's really important to understand what kind of skills do I want to have next? What kind of healthcare professional do I want to become? And which programs and schools are going to help me get there? Some schools will offer dual degrees. So if that's important to you, if you really want to understand, you know, business to a nice degree, you want to look for MD, MBA programs, right? That allow you to also get a nice, deep education in business at the same time as you're pursuing your medical degree, right? There are dual degrees in Masters of Public Health. Some schools have really unique pairings. Temple University, for example, has a Masters of Urban Bioethics, which is another combined degree program that is available to their students. If you are really passionate about urban underserved populations and understanding the complexity and ethical issues at play, Temple would be a wonderful school for you to apply to, especially if you have a background in that area and working with those populations. There's different clinical training approaches. Some schools, you don't really get any clinical experience or integration until year three. Some have sort of like an inverse model where you have very little at the beginning and almost exclusively that at the end, but you start to sort of like build towards it over time. Some schools will do have um, simulation labs. If you're doing osteopathic medicine, they'll have, you know, OMM labs where you actually get to interact with patients and practice these OMM techniques. But not all schools do it evenly. Not all of them have the same types of labs. Not all of them have the same types and and levels and degrees of simulation. If those things are important to you and you like the idea of being able to be more hands-on earlier in your education, you don't want to go to a school where they're really pushing that off until two years in. You're going to struggle academically. You're going to struggle in seeing the point of a lot of things. But also, if you're a person that likes to know absolutely as much as you can before you do anything with your hands, then the former type of 
clinical training approach is going to be a better fit for you, right? You also want to take a deep look at support services, specifically our students with underrepresented identities in medicine. These support systems and services are really important, right? You don't want to just become a token at a school. You want to go someplace where you're going to be really valued and embraced by the community. Also, if you are really confused and feel challenged by the the, the future residency placement process, schools have really differing variants in their residency assistance. So if you know you're going to want a lot of help and support in that process, you want to go to a school that has a more robust system as opposed to a school that's like, you know, our students just sort of figure it out. So what you need to do is you sort of need to figure out what are the quantitative factors that are important to me and what's relevant to my own profile. What is my GPA? What is my MCAT score? What are the types of experiences that I've done? What are the number of hours in certain things? What kind of applicant does that make me? And you want to look at your qualitative factors. What do you really value? What are you know, areas of healthcare that are really important to you in understanding and which schools sort of align with that. And then you're going to look at your school explorer tools. For allopathic medical school, that's the MSAR. For osteopathic school, that's ChooseDO. For dentistry, that's ADEA, Dental School Explorer. For PA, you have a couple different options. I prefer students to choose ARC PA. Uh, which is the accrediting body for PA programs because you get a good sense of who is accredited at what level, what does that look like because accreditation in PA school is like so complex and complicated and it has a huge impact on you later on. And then you want to take the mission statements of these schools and you want to dissect them. A lot of mission statements are going to feel and sound very similar, but there are some very intense choices in language and information, especially at the ones that are in allopathic medical schools, those are all chosen very, very specifically, right? Some schools, if they have more of a generic mission statement, you really got to do digging in the website, right? What are they highlighting? What are the news articles about? What are the different things that are being given money and budget lines to, right? What are the core facilities that exist at that particular program? That's really important information to know if the mission statement's a bit lacking. But most of the time, especially in allopathic medical school admissions, you can get a ton of information from that mission statement. So you want to take bits and pieces of all of these things and figure out which of these schools have tick a lot of boxes for who I am and what I'm looking for. Can I connect to specific labs programs, uh, community events and resources that exist? If yes, that's probably a good fit for you. If you're struggling to find those connections, maybe we don't do that, right? This is a really complex process. It's not something that you're going to be able to do in an hour or two. You know, this is something that you're going to do over time. One of my best pieces of advice, if you're just getting started and you're still feeling a little lost, is start to schedule information sessions or attend information sessions or go to school fairs and talk to the people from these institutions. They will give you insight into what is important, what they value, what they're particularly proud of at their institution. 
and pay close attention to what they're highlighting. These schools are highlighting the parts of themselves that they are most proud of and most connect to their mission and vision and how they want to help people. So if you un are understanding what is being focused upon and um, narrowed in on, it's going to give you more insight in this process. And as always, with all of these things that we talk about, please talk to a pre-health advisor about this, right? We can help you in a really individualized way, but the closer, the more work you've done before you get to us, the more assistance we can provide you with that next step. It is so much easier for me to help a student when they have a list of, you know, 15, 20 schools than if they're like, I don't even know where to start, right? At least do some things, attend those information sessions, look at these school explorers, write down some information that jumps out to you. If you're struggling to find information that jumps out to you at all, that's a good time to come in and talk to us. All right. So that's where we're going to wrap up this conversation on school choice. This is a process. This is not going to be figured out quickly. So be open to the exploration nation experience of this. It's going to take time. That's okay. We're here to support you. And I'll talk to you next week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.